The reading comes from Mark chapter 8 and is verses 31 to the end. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'll start with a prayer. Loving Father, we know that the first disciples struggled to understand the message that Jesus shared about God's plans for our salvation. We ask that you open our minds and our hearts to receive the message that you have for each of us this morning, so that we may live lives that are pleasing to you. Amen. When does good news not sound like good news? This isn't a joke. Um, The answer is when you don't really understand what's been said. So we know that the gospel story is good news because the suffering, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ achieve our salvation and allow us to be reconciled to God. It's achieved through his grace, without which all of our rule-keeping and good works won't get us to heaven. But in today's passage that Mary just read, Peter isn't there yet. He doesn't get it. Peter, what can we say? Sometimes he gets it right, and sometimes he gets it wrong, doesn't he? He's very human, very like us. So just before this passage opens, he's made his declaration. If you hear a fortnight ago, you should remember this. You are the Messiah, the Son of God. Good, yes. And so Jesus can move on to the next lesson, which is explaining what kind of Messiah he's going to be. But as we see, Peter and the other disciples are just not there yet. Peter has this image of what a Messiah is like. So he's shocked 
by Jesus' description, and he decides to set him straight because it's not good news that he's expecting. Peter is expecting a Messiah who will rescue and deliver, but he's understood that in earthly terms. And to be fair to Peter, there's quite a lot of Hebrew scripture that talks about Israel restored, a land of milk and honey, a new King David, smiting enemies, and all of that kind of thing. Peter hasn't been focusing on the verses in Isaiah that point to a suffering servant, which is what Jesus draws on for his self-understanding and self-description. You see, Jesus understands exactly what is required of him. He chooses to stick with God's plan because he's perfectly aligned with his father's will. Peter rebukes Jesus, oh, don't go saying you're going to suffer. And he's probably doing that because he wants to spare Jesus' pain and suffering and he wants them all to stay in a happy place and be safe. That's human nature. But Jesus' rebuke is even more strident, as Mary said, get behind me, Satan. Jesus' focus is on his father's plans. He does not want to be distracted by human plans, human impulses, human desires. I wonder if we ever decide what we think God's plan should be based on what we want. Not thy will be done, but my will be done, maybe. Do we want to control the narrative? When we pray, are we set to broadcast and not receiving? I know I am sometimes. And maybe we get the message about in the passage about the nature of Jesus' messiahship But what about the message about the nature of discipleship? Less keen? It is hard to see the suffering motif as good news. For a first century um, audience, when they heard about carrying your cross, they would have known immediately what that picture looked like that person would be on their way to a humiliating agonizing execution with no way out it would be an appalling image now because we live in a democracy with freedom of worship we are unlikely to face death because of our faith but we know that that is the fate of many Christians, many in the persecuted church around the world. What do Jesus' words about discipleship mean for us? And how can that be good news for us? Well, following the way of the cross is about self-denial daily, but that's not the same as self-loathing and self-hatred, okay? And the way of the cross doesn't mean that you've got to wear a horsehair shirt or, you know, do a bit of flagellation or be miserable. That's not good news. And in fact, we're not talking about performative suffering to show off our piety. Because in many ways, that's just as egocentric as if we're being very materialistic. It doesn't mean 
eliminating all risks and withdrawing from society altogether, cutting ourselves off from our non-Christian friends, living in a bubble, which is not to disrespect those who are called to a monastic life. It doesn't mean that using our talents, like having a career, being rewarded with a decent wage, planning for our retirements, giving our children opportunities, well, those things are wrong per se. But the way of the cross is about where your mind is at. The way of the cross is challenging because it acknowledges that God is in control, not us. And that makes us vulnerable. You don't know what he might ask you to do. The way of the cross is about realizing that our life is not our own, but God's. Jesus didn't value the accumulation of wealth or status, and we know that very clearly from his rejection of the temptations of the devil in the wilderness. He is so hard on Peter because he understands how insidious it is to take the easy path, that it's a slippery slope to just suiting ourselves and putting our own needs first. None of that would be the way of the cross. We need to get our priorities right. Um, Here's an example that came to me while I was preparing this, an exceptional life, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer. Um, And he came into my mind because I'd just seen the news about Alexei Navalny, who was uh, murdered, I think we can say, in Russia. Bonhoeffer said, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost us our lives. And for him, it literally did. He was a founding member of the Confessing Church in Germany, which meant that he refused to collaborate with the Nazis. He briefly went to the USA in 1939, and he could have stayed there and been safe. But instead, he chose to return to Germany, knowing that he would be in danger. He was arrested in 1943 and executed in 1945. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost us our lives. And as I've said, for us, it probably will not be so dramatic. But we are called to make our priority putting God first. That's what the season of Lent is about. Moving away from our own impulses and rediscovering our true love, the love of God. St. Paul put it like this in his second letter to the Corinthians. Christ died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So to repeat the question, what do Jesus' words about discipleship mean for us and how could that be good news? Well, I think I put it on the news sheet, which I have now lost. Jesus chose to give in a world that takes, to love in a world that hates, to heal in a world that injures, to forgive in a world that condemns, to give life 
in a world that kills. So Jesus chose compassion where others were indifferent. He trusted God's abundance where others said, not enough. In all our day-to-day decisions, how we treat our loved ones, how we interact with neighbours and colleagues, what we buy, where we invest, what we post on social media, how we vote. In everything, we need to ask the review question, what would Jesus do? I know it's a cliche, but it exists for a reason. It's a good question to ask. What would Jesus do? In all of those things, we need to have in mind not human concerns, but the concerns of God. And there's any number of paths that we could go down to illustrate that. But because I want our focus today to be on trade justice, let's just think about what God's concerns, God's compassion over our indifference means when it comes to our buying decisions. There's a progressive theologian who said that Jesus challenges us to name the spiritual forces of oppression. And trade injustice is one of those forces of oppression. We live in a civilization that will numb us in what he calls the opiates of entertainment and material goods. He says that apathy is a spiritual disease that renders us incapable of empathy. Society, human values, reinforce apathy by hiding every uncomfortable truth. So our consumer goods come to us ready-formed without us understanding the ways that those who made those goods were exploited. We're cut off from suffering. And maybe we turn to comforts to numb any suffering that manages to break through. But Jesus rejects apathy. He rejects indifference. His way, the way of the cross, is compassion. And compassion is more than a general kind of warm feeling of goodwill, which achieves nothing. It's a radical form of criticizing what is wrong because it says that the hurt should be taken seriously hurt is not to be accepted as just the way it is it needs to be seen as an unacceptable condition for humanity for our brothers and sisters before i finish <clears throat> I've got something that might convince you that it's good to take up your cross every day if nothing I've said has broken through and you just think it's a duly rant, okay? So, you may be aware of Dr. Michael Mosley's programme on Radio 4, Just One Thing. It looks at just one thing, clue in the name, that you can, just one thing you can do each day that will improve your health or well-being. So it's covered things like um, get an early night, eat whole grains, drink green tea, take a walk backwards, try cold water swimming. Sounds quite risky. But anyway, he looked at research which shows that 
being kind, so having compassion, being kind improves mental health, boosts the immune system and reduces the inflammation that can lead to chronic diseases. So there you go. The way of the cross is good for your health. I bet you weren't expecting that good news. I thank you. So, the good news of Jesus' Messiahship is that, in the most unexpected way, the suffering servant restores our true identity as children of God. We are saved. We have eternal life. The good news of the way of the cross is that we won't get distracted by earthly values which are ephemeral, gone in a moment, always disappoint. We keep hold of the gift of eternal life. So let's decide what that might look like when we leave this place. I just pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of grace, the sacrifice that Jesus made for us once and for all on the cross. Send your Holy Spirit to guide us as we follow in the way of the cross. Amen. Amen.